terms of uh, addressing the public directly, I think, yes, you have to be careful and you have to measure what you're saying. And it's not about being right or wrong. It's not about truth. It's only pieces of information that you put together and you, you try to understand what is happening. And sometimes the public is seeking for, you know, absolutes. That's not the way we think, actually, anyway, as scientists. You're listening to the Class Acts podcast, an initiative of UCD Conway Institute, a research institute based in University College Dublin. My name is Elaine Quinn. In this podcast series, we want to introduce you to scientists at the heart of fascinating new research here in the Institute. What motivated our researchers to pursue a career in science? What journeys have they taken along their career path? What areas of research are they pursuing? How have their careers been influenced by mentorship along the way? Some of these scientists have long established research groups in the Institute, while others have just begun to build their own teams here in UCD. All of them have spoken about their work in our weekly Conway Lecture and Seminar Series, or CLASS for short. Our host is Dr Owen Cummins, Assistant Professor of Physiology in UCD School of Medicine and a Conway Fellow. Owen leads a research group studying how carbon dioxide and oxygen affect cellular behaviour. Owen is also passionate about educating the next generation of scientists and medics and actively contributes to equality, diversity and inclusion initiatives within UCD. He was inspired to create the Class Acts podcast to share the many and varied backgrounds and journeys taken by Conway researchers on their routes to scientific success. In episode three, Dr. Owen Cummins chats with Associate Professor Virginie Gauthier from the UCD Centre for Research in Infectious Disease, who's a Conway Fellow. Virginie explains how an interest in reproductive biology sparked her interest in science, which is now focused on virology. She describes how her passion for virology has made me centred on understanding the biology of HIV and has more recently pivoted towards coronaviruses during the recent COVID-19 pandemic. Morning, everybody, and thank you very much for joining the podcast. This morning, I'm uh, joined by Associate Professor Virginie Gauthier uh, from the School of Medicine's Centre for Experimental Pathogen Host Research. Virginie, you're very welcome to the podcast. Good morning, and thank you for the invitation. Virginie, I'd really like to start by uh, asking you a little bit about your early career experiences uh, and how they might have, have led to the position that you're in today. So as a, as a young girl growing up in France, were you always interested in science? Were you always uh, a curious person? What, what, what led you to a, a career in science? Yeah, I think it was always kind of the, the science was always kind of in my mind. And maybe, as you said, like maybe a curious mind. And uh, I realized I like to seek for information and get it for myself without waiting for it to be given to me. And I had a brilliant uh, primary school teacher who was giving us the time to go through books uh, during the, the breaks instead of going out and, and play. And I remember finding one about biology, and it was about uh, reproduction and sexual reproduction. And that's how I discovered the whole meaning of life or the beginning of life anyway, and uh, with the ovule and the, and, and the spermatozoid. And I, I came back home, wanted to share my discovery. It was really mind-blowing for me. And I, I went back to my parents like, oh, that's it, I, I understand now. It's all about these supermatozoids. And obviously my, 
my parents uh, laughed a lot. And after that, I decided not to share anyway my, <laughs> <laughs> my discoveries with them. But I kept going, though. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and I think it was just, uh, without thinking about a career, it was just uh, loving the, the science topic. But research seems to be very far away from me or something that wasn't really uh, reachable. And it's, it's just one thing after the other. I think it was in my uh, fourth year and having this, you know, this kind of a, like it's still the same today for undergraduate experience in, in the research lab. And I basically loved it. And I was actually very good at it. Although I was a, a medium, like average student in, in university, I think that was really the trigger for me. I realized that was kind of my forte again, going into research article, getting information from this, sharing this with the lab, at lab meetings and uh, and struggling to experiment, I didn't mind actually. I, I was getting back at it. So then I thought, hey, maybe maybe it's for me. Uh, yeah. And then the master confirmed this. And after the master, I think I just wanted to see something else. And I decided to go to to Ireland at this stage. And uh, and arriving here, I just sent my CV everywhere, saying, oh, I want to work with you. Uh, please take me on board. And uh, I had a couple of. Um, I was actually surprised. I got a, a few uh, positive answers, some asking to do a PhD with them. And I thought I wasn't ready for that. It seems to be too, too much of a commitment for me. I just wanted to have more lab experience, like research lab experience. And uh, I was very lucky to find, um, to get in touch with Professor Hall. So Professor William Hall, who was the head of uh, uh, infectious disease department here in, in UCD. And he just took me on board uh, for a small research project as a research assistant. And I loved it. And after a little while, he said, Virginie, you're wasting your time. You should do a PhD. And I was like, still not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked around and everybody was like, come on, Virginie, obviously it's for you and you should do it. And, and I finally said, yes, I don't know why it took me so long. And uh, again, it was uh, like a great journey of uh, four years of hard work and struggling through it and having magical moments as well. And then, uh, and then after that, a postdoc, uh, still with uh, Professor Hall. And actually, I stayed in, within UCD after that, uh, all that year. So I, I had my mobility moment, as they say, in a career. You need to travel and to get more experience. And uh, actually, I stayed in, in UCD um, after that and developed, like, you know, uh, had opportunities to, to, to have new position and, and, and so on. It, it's sometimes strange how long it can take people to to realize what the yeah. what the correct career for them is because when when you're when you're starting off talking about you know that your your teacher in, in primary school directing you towards or giving you the opportunity to look at different books and then your your comments about loving the the hands-on lab work i mean that's that's what makes a scientist some people don't have both so sometimes people like doing the the book work but not so much the the lab work um, but you know that they seem like two of the of the real yeah, uh, pillar, pillars for a research scientist to, to yeah, be yeah, about both of them. No, I still love the, the lab work, although in my position now I don't have so much the opportunity to do it. Um, but sometimes you need to you need to just pull up your sleeves and, and because the we don't have enough people in the team or, or it just happened that everybody is busy and you need to and I actually really enjoy it just to focus on one thing at the bench. Uh, it's actually quite therapeutic, I find. Yeah, no, it, it can be for sure. So, so then in terms of your time in UCD, has that always been in, it's, it's obviously been in the area of infectious diseases to yeah. some degree. Has it always been in the area of uh, viral research? 
Yes. So the the actual um, so not for the master, but for the PhD, it was to work on HIV. Uh, so I, I started with this, and it was a, a real good old basic virology uh, project. Uh, looking at the host virus interface. So it was really about the mechanism by which HIV is able to hijack specific cellular pathway for its own benefits. Uh, and, that, and that was quite good. So I used typical molecular biology techniques like the yeast to hybrid system to look at protein-protein interaction and screening a whole uh, library against uh, a base. And in that time, it was the um, I was focusing on the viral um, protein, which is called TAT, and is a key um, uh, regulator of HIV transcription, uh, where without TAT you have no transcription and no viral replication. So it was, it was, uh, it was really interesting just to put the pieces together. Uh, and, and then uh, I kept going uh, for my postdoc then, and I, I proposed a project uh, to work with proteomic, because proteomic was um, becoming a big thing at the time. Sure. And, uh, and the proteomic lab actually was just opening in the Conway Institute, and it was directed by uh, Steve Peddington at the time. And so I approached him and said, okay, I, I, I work with this binary interaction. Uh, I want to go the next step and look at more kind of a big system-wide, large complexes interacting with this um, viral protein. And that's what we did, and that was actually uh, very interesting. Uh, and then, um, and then it was a problem of funding as well. So where it was more difficult to get funding in, in basic science, where you need to have uh, either something related to um, production of a, a tool that you can, you know, a drug or something, something more applied. Applied science, yes, exactly, or clinical science. So I found a way in between uh, in what we call preclinical science and looking at screening for drugs. Uh, against uh, HIV, but not in terms of um, the current antiretroviral therapy that we have, uh, but trying to target uh, HIV reservoir that can uh, that are usually established while people are on therapy, uh, or even before actually, uh, and that that's something that the current therapy cannot target this uh, latent reservoir. And so I was screening drugs to actually. Um, um, reactivate this reservoir because HIV is actually latent and silent and it's kind of a hiding away uh, the immune system and the drugs. So that's, that's how I managed to find some uh, funding opportunity. So it was just between clinical science and, 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 and basic science, basically. And it, it's interesting how the, the funding light landscape can, can change the, yes. the, the direction of the lab. I mean, so if, if you go back and say, so the, the initial work that you did looking at sort of the more molecular interactions of this expression used of, of how how you can, how HIV can hijack different things within the yeah. within the within the system um, I mean is that area of research still as relevant as when you started or ha has the field moved on or have you just had to maybe focus less on it because of you know the the funding uh, bodies drive for for more applied or uh, clinical research? Yeah, so I, I mean, because we generated actually a lot of data with our, 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 our um, kind of, a, even with the yeast to hybrids and the proteomics. So there was a lot of to dig from and to work from. So actually it helps me to identify the target then I could use for, for drug screening. So it, yeah. it was all linked. Saying this, I haven't been able to actually keep going in this field, although I would have loved to and uh, had many... Uh, other ideas. So I've done a few other projects around this, uh, but not that many. 
Um, so yeah, no, I would love to go back to it uh, if the if the funding is available. It's good to hear about the synergy between the the more basic and the applied research. From my personal opinion, would be that you know perhaps some of the basic research globally is is underfunded um, mm -hmm. at the expense of some of the more applied or, or cl clinical research, and that if 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 we don't continue to invest in that area, you don't have that bedrock or or foundation stone to to go and build the more uh, applied studies a little bit later on. So yeah. it, well, it's good, it's good to see that that example in, in HIV research, yeah, the, the, the importance need, of the two synergizing. Yeah, but I would love to just do a little bit more on the basic research as well, just to make sure that we, as you say, we still need to identify this target. We still need to decipher what is happening and to dissect all the molecular mechanism involved in, in, in viral replication or in, in, in you know cancer or in any other fields for the matter. So, so you've mentioned a, a couple of individuals in the interview already who have, have helped you along the way. So the yeah. ins, inspirational uh, primary school teacher who, who gave you the opportunity to pursue your, your, your thirst for knowledge as a, as a young student, and then uh, William Hall in, uh, in UCD to, to help as part of the, um, the infectious disease direction. So how important has uh, mentorship been in your career so far to, to help you to get to the position that you're at? I think, I think without it, you cannot really move very far or fast anyway. Uh, I think it's important to establish a network and, and, uh, and have uh, mentoring people by your side. Uh, and that's still, like even, even colleagues, sometimes I use them as mentor. Uh, I think it's still important to, to get feedback and get like, you know, guidance and, and, or even just to get confirmation that you're doing the right thing or you're going in the right directions. Uh, and I find that I, I actually love to be in the other position of being a mentor. Uh, and, uh, and I tried because that's something I didn't do. I didn't really, like, I realized how important it was to get self-funded because I always wanted to be independent. But I didn't necessarily knew how to navigate the landscape at the beginning. So I, I just learned as, as I was uh, going along. So that's something I try to do when I, when I see someone I want to work with in terms of undergraduate students. I try to say, okay, if, if you want to do it, and I think you can do it, because sometimes they are in the same situation than me, I find, that they're not too sure if research is for them or they don't feel that they can do it. So it's just about making sure that they realize the potential they have. And then I try to encourage them to get their own funding. So I, I, and, and we have great system here in Ireland with the Irish Research Council, like uh, with scholarship for PhD and, and postdoc. And uh, so most, I would say, yeah, the majority of the PhD students um, that are working uh, with me in, in the lab, they all had their uh, own Irish uh, RRC scholarship. Uh, and just even through, like, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge, to be honest, for them uh, to write, because it's very complex um, uh, grant proposal and, and how do you have to sell yourself and, and show that you're capable of it. So it's... Um, yeah, it's it's, but it's nice to have this then for the next stage of their career, I think, and then they can build up, uh, build up on this, and then you know everything related to all the horizon. I mean, it's not horizon twenty twenty anymore, but uh, European funding uh, with the Marie Curie system, which I think is brilliant as well. So I usually encourage them, like if I, you know, postdocs even to leave the lab uh, for the matter, and uh, just to try to get their own funding, and you have good system today to to do that. Yeah, to get get that independent funding earlier in their career can be a real uh, foundation stone for for independence yeah. down the line. 
And in terms of in terms of your own group, so um, what sort of uh, advice or mentorship have you had to employ during the the COVID pandemic, for example, as a, as a supervisor? Because it's obviously been uh, very challenging for for different individuals, different uh, home situations, different abilities to uh, to continue working. Have you find that found that to be a challenge from from a mentorship point of view? It was and it wasn't because everything was going so fast. And, and because we were directly concerned by COVID-19 being infectious diseases with, with the virus. So I think I just, uh, I think I called them up and said, like, listen, let's, let's do it. Let's kind of uh, shift our research focus to, to SARS-CoV-2 and, and, and go for it. For us, the, the most obvious one was about going for diagnostics because we have the experience of viral RNA extraction and RTQPCR. So that was one direction we took, and the other one was uh, drug screening. So basically, adapting all the whatever pathway we we had put in place, the platform we had put in place for HIV, and just to to adapt it to 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 SARS-CoV-2. So we just had to work with new m model of infection and and so on. But uh, basically, that's what that's what we did, and everybody was on board. I think there was no like, you know, second guessing or just like, oh, no, I don't want to do it. So like whether people had experience in um, microscopy and immunofluorescence. So we took this on board to look at, to monitor um, the viral infection uh, with immunofluorescence. Uh, we did this with flow cytometry as well. Uh, and then your typical, uh, like another drug screening, 96 web plates and, and so on. So it was actually like Sophie, who had written a, a PhD program actually with the RRC just for HIV. Like again, she, she switched everything and just focused on, on this working on, on neutralizing antibody in uh, convalescent and vaccinated people. And uh, again, like amazing, amazing how she was able to adapt to it and, and take on board, like, you know, starting from scratch basically, because she had accumulated all this knowledge about HIV and, and you know, uh, getting the tools on her, on her belt as well. And she just had to obviously learn from this and, and move on to this new field of, of research. It was quite, uh, I was quite impressed and, and by all of them. You make it sound very easy. You know, I, it, 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 I would imagine it would be much more difficult in, in practice. It's a completely different, completely different virus, completely different sort of set of patients uh, and, and not well understood uh, biology of, of, of how the virus works and uh, being able to successfully pivot your, your research group and redirect it in such a short uh, space of time is, uh, is very impressive. And to, and to bring, like you said, some maybe less, less experienced researchers on that, on that journey with you. Yeah. Um, and do you, do you anticipate in the current situation that that will be the continued direction of, of your lab for the, for the short to medium term? Or do you envisage a, maybe a saturation point in the, in the area of SARS-CoV-2 research? Or is there still a lot of work to be done? In, in there is a lot place? of work to be done. And definitely in, in terms of uh, basic funding, I think we still... SFI was really good for that. We have a, um, a specific project that we really look at the molecular mechanism. So we, we found... Uh, potentials, um, uh, targets of intervention against SARS-CoV-2 and uh, identified potential antivirals. And the idea was to really delineate the molecular uh, mechanism uh, behind this. So it's just one way to go back to the science I love and, and uh, really trying to, to dissect what is happening once the virus infects the cells and how we can interfere at this kind of an interface between the host and the, and the virus. 
so that's that's definitely something I really want to keep digging and and, and go going on as long as long as I have the, the funding, obviously. Um, so, like, yes, there is a lot of things that I would still want. Like, we we've built up all these tools now, so it would be a pity just to leave them aside. And sure, I, mean, I think what happened earlier on with SARS-CoV, like the first uh, coronavirus, like uh, that created this uh, epidemics in in two thousand and three, is that yes, there was a little bit of funding, but then they stopped. So all this, like you imagine, since two thousand and three, all this work that could have been done and that could uh, we could have used today, all this knowledge to actually uh, uh, build up new, new new drugs or vaccine. Instead, like everything was kind of put in a hold and only a few labs uh, managed to get some funding to keep going. And therefore, we had to start all over again from nearly nothing. So I think it's very important to keep on um, kind of a, this type of research because uh, we'll definitely uh, hit another polemics uh, at, some, at some stage or, uh, you know, SARS-CoV-3 maybe. Uh, that was that was going to be my next question, actually. So, I mean, obviously, as you're pursuing this basic fundamental biological uh, research on SARS-CoV-2, how much of that is with a view to understanding Co- SARS-CoV-2 with respect to the current pandemic versus informing ourselves of the biology of coronaviruses in general and, and potentially prophylactically protecting ourselves against uh, a, a possible future pandemic? Yeah, so the idea is to, to find this kind of a magic pill or magic drug that's a little bit like antibiotics that could be uh, targeting more than one virus uh, and, you know, pan, pan virus. Uh, and, and, and basically, yes, I like, that's, that's certainly what we're trying to do by targeting this kind of a... The virus usually hijacks similar pathways and they have similar strategies to infect the cells. So if we can understand this a little bit better and find drugs that are actually targeting these these pathways, uh, that could be that could be the way forward to make sure that the drugs we have today is against uh, SARS-CoV-2. Although a lot of work still need to be done because we haven't found this magically yet, um, could be could be uh, potentially active against the next uh, like you know the next uh, infectious disease or the next virus or the next SARS-CoV-3 basically. And in terms of that that sort of drug discovery, is that is that trying to examine drugs that we've have already been made and have been proven to be safe in other contexts and applying them to the virus, or to what extent are you know novel screening of compounds being is, is that going on? Yeah, we we, we begin to the repurposing strategies. Uh, like I don't really have the knowledge of making up new drugs, and it's actually very complex to develop drugs from scratch. Uh, like I, we've tried at some stage and the issue was with even like solubility. So you find a nice molecule and the chemist is able to produce it, but at the end you cannot resolubilize it to the concentration you want to work in, in cellular system. So no, we, we usually working with drugs that are um, uh, already developed and, and if possible tested at least in clinical trial or, or tested in, in other, like, like in cancer, for example. Um, or, or diabetes, and, and that you know that are safe for the for the patients, and that, that we can we can test uh, in our in vitro system with the with the cells and the and the virus together. So I just want to ask you a little bit now about um, how scientists have been communicating with the public uh, in general, but also more particularly during the during the pandemic. So it's definitely been the case that. Uh, mainstream academics are, are, are their opinion is sought more often in the in the in the mainstream media, and uh, 
my my perception is reading some of the the newspaper articles is that you know there's sometimes there's confusion in, in the general public as a scientist may be uh, contradicting them each other or, or or things of that nature. So, what what role do you think uh, the scientist, the, the the research scientist like yourself, has to play in uh, communicating with the general public during uh, during a health crisis such as as the current one we're experiencing? I think, I think it, it showed that it was important and a lot of people, um, you know, did step forward for that and were asked to participate. And uh, I think it's very important, definitely. Uh, but it's an art in itself. It's not that easy to, to, to explain the whole complexity of a situation and to make understand that, yes, sometimes the information that you get, you need to maybe have other information to back it up. And yes, we can have... Uh, difference of opinion about, you know, uh, specific, you know, strategies. And, and certainly when it's not just about science, but public health and politics and how to manage a whole population, it's not uh, like, an, it, it, it's not that easy. But I think we definitely, I think it was good that uh, the Irish government kind of, a, kind of a, you know, reach out to the scientific community and the academic communities uh, just to ask for some advice. At the end of it, it's only advice and it's up to them to make uh you know new new legislation or, or, or new or strategy policy, or yeah. policies and um, public health policies uh, from this uh and in terms of of uh, addressing the public directly i think yes you have to be careful and you have to measure what you're saying and it's not about being right or wrong it's not about truth it's only pieces of information that you put together and you, you try to understand what is happening uh, and sometimes the public is seeking for, you know, absolutes. Is it this way or that way? And it, it doesn't work this way. Or that that's not the way we think, actually, anyway, as scientists. So we kind of... Uh, sure. we, we need maybe the, the media to help us out a little bit in, in terms of, yeah. or, you know, communicating that maybe it's not as, as black and white as, yeah. as, as maybe their, their readers might like. Yeah, but there's been, actually, I think the journalism in general have been quite good, certainly in, in like the, the people I've been working with, like they always try to to get uh, the big picture and to talk to you beforehand before they start the interview and the same for kind of a like article um, like you know it's it's it kind of a, they help you to express how all they I thought it, I had some nice collaboration working with uh, with journalists so far although it was small small contribution. Regini, it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much. Very nice, uh, very nice talking to you today. You've been listening to the UCD Conway Institute Class Acts podcast. A big thank you to the Conway Institute researchers for sharing their stories and Dr. Owen Cummins for chatting with them. Subscribe and follow UCD Conway Institute wherever you get your podcasts.